0: hard work, gun-toting cats atop flame-nostriled unicorns. This is Carbon 4 Brewing in Madison, Wisconsin. Come along and hang out with the guys behind the Fantasy Factory curtain. Be exposed to those backroom unfiltered meetings where the beer geekery is on point and beer trends are dissected. Welcome to the Carbon 4 podcast, an unhinged brewery tour coming to you today with our very first episode. And so we're going to start with some introductions. I am Jonathan. I'm the producer here on the Unhinged Brewery Tour podcast with Carbon 4. And I'm going to turn it over to the Carbon 4 guys. Who do we have for our brewery tour tour guides today?
1: I'm Ryan Koga, co-owners and brewmaster. one of the founders of Carbon 4. And next...
2: Joe Waltz, I'm the quality manager and the R&D brewer here.
3: I am Patrick Murphy. I am the head brewer and recipe guy. (laughs) Head (laughs) brewer and the recipe guy. I had to have an extra one.
0: So uh, give us uh, some history on Carbon 4 and how you guys all kind of came to play into the, the Carbon 4 story. Sure thing. First of all, I want to
1: welcome anybody who's listening to the podcast today. Uh, a lot of our brewers, myself included, spend a lot of time over the years listening to podcasts, whether it's Master Brewers Association podcast, uh, among others, You know, Rogan and a lot of other stuff. But uh, typically when you're on the brew deck early in the morning, 4 a.m. mashing in, uh, sun's not up yet, usually a little music. Well, I found out when I first started brewing that uh, music got old after about uh, three weeks. Uh, Ran out through every music piece I wanted, then got into audiobooks, and then years later, podcasts came along, and I've learned so much. Um, I've been entertained, educated, mystified, and uh, occupied by uh, by different podcasts over the years, so it's time for us. We've been working on this one for a while. We've definitely participated in a few podcasts over the years, and it's always been a lot of fun, um, including this last summer when we did uh, the the pour another round podcast when we were when uh, we did pour another round and extended the uh, the podcast at first uh, which is how we met Jonathan and uh, we seemed to fill up a couple hours pretty quickly so we thought you know what maybe we could probably pull this off we got a lot to talk about and there's always a lot of great discussion happening. In the lab, in the offices, in our managers' meetings, on the floor, everywhere in the brewery, we talk a lot about technical stuff. Make fun of each other a lot. Tell a lot of good stories, a lot of good jokes. There's been a lot of great experiences across several breweries for a lot of people here, and it's time for us to share our story. So, so that's kind of where this podcast started. We've wanted to kick this off now for months and months, and you know, scheduling and life and all kinds of things. Uh, uh, new equipment, all kinds of stuff have, have have been in the way, and now we are uh, now we're here. For myself, uh, I started off. Um, it's been like sixteen and a half years now, maybe a little bit more that I've been professionally brewing. Uh, got worked uh, started at uh, Yellowstone Valley Brewing Company in Billings, Montana. Uh, I started uh, just getting hamburger hands on the uh, packaging line there at first, uh, part time to for rent money while I was in graduate school. Uh, doing sports medicine, and uh, finished all my degrees and such, had more letters after my name than in my name at one point, and uh, kept staying on and on at the brewery, and there was just something there, I got bit by the brewery bug, it uh, became a part of me, and uh, I was actually having a discussion with Scope about this just this last Friday, about it's like, you know, brewing is not really what you do Uh, when you get in the steep, it just becomes, uh, you know, who you are, you know, that's... So that's that's where I'm at now. And then after a couple of years there, we opened up a second location, um, a small brew pub in another in another part of Billings that I helped install the brewery and get it kind of going. And then I did uh consulting for a brewery in Michigan, Paw Paw Brewing, and and uh and that was a lot of fun. That challenged me. Um that was a, a contact we had made uh, through my my in laws and such. And uh that really challenged me to uh, to know my stuff, and then I had a lot of fun, and then we started thinking maybe we could do this for ourselves. Uh, my wife and I had pulled the demographics for like California, Minnesota, Michigan, Illinois, Wisconsin, Indiana, all around. And uh, quite frankly, at the time, back in like 2011, when we were, when we were doing this research, Madison was was uh, ripe. It was uh, there was only two or three breweries here. You know, well over a half a million people, great culture, great everything and uh so they said oh man this is we could do this and i'd learned when i was in montana there was more breweries in montana with less than a million people than there were in wisconsin you know by far at the time a lot of award-winning breweries and such uh there's a lot of west coast influence as well so i i I had had to compete against you know ninkasi and a a lot of other west coast breweries in in billings when i was a brewer so i brought some of that knowledge and uh stuff to uh when we when we brought it to brought the road show to madison to carbon four and uh moved back here in 2012 we opened last minute of 2012 december 28th 2012 is when we opened our doors. so we're coming up here on our 10th year anniversary we've had ups we've had downs we've had a lot a lot of great times a lot of late nights a lot of early mornings um but uh but we're still here we're still kicking and and uh yeah that's that's my story so far
3: Yeah, I started uh, Carbon 4. It was actually a year ago on the 1st of November. I didn't realize that. That's right. I just was thinking of that. I was talking to somebody today about it. I was like, oh, that came up quick. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I had left uh, Octopi where I worked with Joe, and uh, we thought, uh, well, I came here, and then we Joe and I had talked a little bit afterwards about how we wanted to work together again, and uh, now Joe's here with us, so that's sweet. Yeah. well, yeah, I don't know. I've been here for a year coming up with recipes, kind of bringing some of my knowledge and teaching some people some stuff. And it's been a lot of fun for the last year. Where were you at before Octopi? Oh, I was at Bent River Brewery in the Quad Cities for way too long. Probably, I think it was like five and a half or six years, seven years. I don't remember. Something like that. It was a long time. Uh, but yeah, I ended up at Octopi, moved up to Madison, and then I mean, Carbon 4 has always been one of my favorite places to go. Great taste weekend. I would always come here. I've gotten kicked out of here a couple of different times when it was Ale Asylum and Carbon 4 a couple of times before I you know, moved up in this area. So it was a lot of fun. I've always had a good time here.
2: All right. So I, uh, I got my start brewing at home. I, I started homebrewing back in, I think it was early 2003. And that all came about. I... I I had a good friend in college who I lived with. We went to high school together, uh, lived together at some point in college, and he started brewing. And I was living in a house with him while he was brewing, and it never crossed my mind to brew beer. I was just like, okay, that's a cool thing he does. And we were coming up on November. My stepdad's birthday was coming up, and I was struggling to think of, of something to get him for a present. And that was like, it kind of hit me. I'm like, I could get him a homebrew kit. And it would be perfect. It would waste his time. It would piss off my mom. Like every everything would just fall into place. And it was at that moment that I thought, yeah, I could probably get myself one too. And so I got one. I, I started brewing. I got hooked. I was working as an engineer at the time. He never used his. To this day, he has still never used it. I don't know if he still has it, but now I am a professional brewer. Uh didn't take me long to realize that I wanted to do that for a job. It was pretty naive. I was thinking, this has taken up all my free time. So... I'm going to do it for my job, and then I'll have my free time back. And that is not how it works in the (laughs) industry. I also thought, you know, if it doesn't work out, I can go back to go back to engineering. That's not how that works out either. You you leave the field for a couple years, and you're you don't have the computer skills as a recent college grad. You're obsolete. So yeah, I'm here for better or worse. Uh, No regrets. I got started professionally in 2000. No (laughs) No regrets. Right. (laughs) No, plenty of (laughs) regrets. (laughs) No, back in uh, 2005, I moved here to Madison. Uh, My wife grew up here. And so we knew that if I was going to be a brewer, there was no money in that. So um, she had just gone back to school to get a nursing degree. So she paid the bills while I took a $8 an hour brewing job at JT Whitney's on the Southwest side of town, which is now vintage. And yeah, off to the races from there.
3: Behind every brewer is a
1: significant other (laughs) that's supportive that takes care of you yeah i've actually met joe the first time we met was uh uh you know joe worked for ale asylum when i so when i first moved back to madison or moved to madison i grew up in appleton so didn't move back to madison moved to madison uh turns out whenever you're going uh east or west from madison to the mountains uh whether you take 90 or 94 uh going east or west you're either driving to billings or to madison so coming home on uh, road trips to visit family and stuff i was always coming through madison and uh, would go to ale asylum with my brother who's one of the co-owners with me now and uh when we were trying to figure out a place to go we learned that ale asylum was expanding or about to expand about to uh, put a shovel in the ground and do some stuff so um we had cold called ale asylum and and uh Worked out with them to buy some equipment that they were gonna want to offload, and uh, took over the lease when they when they went forward. So uh, I moved back in August. We didn't start brewing or even working on stuff till October or so. So I spent I spent about a month crawling all over Ale Asylum during their production time, getting in, getting in everybody's way, asking a bunch of questions to Joey. Probably got sick of me way back when. I used to just sit and stare at people in the brew house and like trying to figure out the plumbing and different stuff and try to figure out, you know, they're going to take the tanks out of here and we're going to get a chance to kind of reset the area. And so I went around to all the different uh, brewers and stuff and was asking, you know, what's your top five pet peeves about the layout, the things you wish were happening, whatever else, because I got the chance to do it right now. So, um, that's how I met Joe and actually the water profile is significantly different here in Madison than it is in Billings. And so I was kind of having to scramble a bit to figure out what I was going to do. And Joe had said, Hey, why don't you try this, this spreadsheet I got for water chemistry? And I looked at it, and it was, I don't know, fulfilling in cells long and, and it seemed really good. And I was, I was like, dude, thank you so much. And, and from like from batch one. Like I just was hitting my numbers that I needed to hit. And, and, uh, I recognized Joe and that like took me about 30 minutes to be like, Oh God, I'm somebody I want to know somebody I can learn from, uh, somebody I can call, talk me off the ledge when I'm really in trouble here. And, uh, that's how I first met Joe. So that was years and years ago. And then over the years, you know, we would, we would make contact, talk every once in a while and Hey, how's it going? Just kind of following along. And, and the chance came about to, to say hey um there's a position open our quality manager had uh had had moved he took a job at surly uh actually his dream job because he loved to do more of the like tasting and sensory type of stuff and he got exactly that job at surly which he's from the twin cities area and he wanted to move home like back toward that area anyways so it's like perfect you know and and left us with an opening and then um somebody on staff took the position and then and then they needed to make another change and actually left to go to a different brewery after a bit. So we we're still kind of left with that opening there and discussion started a bit with Joe and, and uh, it was just perfect timing. That was like, Patrick had just been here. That was like, actually like, except Patrick said started November one. And then uh, like, was it like right as you started or like just before you started? Like that's when yeah. our, the quality manager at the time was like, Hey, I'm sorry. I, I, I love think his being last I you week guys, was my first week. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how his time you started was like, uh, with this really awesome, brilliant, awesome uh, quality manager at the time, and and then he's he's going, so we got to fill that that hole. So actually, the beginning of Patrick's time here was like kind of backfilling the quality manager type of stuff. So he was really pumped whenever we got somebody to step in for a little bit <laughs> here and there, just buried in quality stuff. So yeah, so that's how we got here today. So the, the you know the the point of the podcast, like I said before, then too is is kind of letting people be a fly on the wall for. The different conversations that we have things that are always going on in the brewery you know we had um. that's kind of the, so some of the history of K4 was was in, then starting in 20, like 2012 and been a lot of evolution since when we first started off we thought oh we're just going to make malt bombs you know that, that would be go, go over really well in Wisconsin some amber some reds and stuff we thought we'd have four main kind of malt bomb beers to start with and then have always have a rotating IPA the first IPA we made was Silk Scorpion and then the second one
3: Fantasy Factory
1: <laughs> exactly. It fancy factory and we haven't stopped making that one since. So, which, uh, it's an excellent, it's not even a problem to have just like catching fire, you know, and trying to figure out what you're going to do with it once you have it. And that kind of drove a lot of all the decisions over the next like three to four years after that, that was, couldn't produce enough of it for kegging. And then, uh, then we had signed with the distributor distribution partner, and then they really wanted the bottles and stuff. So I was trying to get the bottling line back up and running. And then when we'd got the bottling line going, it was trying to get enough batches through the bottling machine and, you know, started off like one batch every other week and then got to one batch every week and then started to do like double brews and then triple brews to try to get, I mean, bought a few more tanks and that's really where the evolution of our company like exploded from there, was trying to keep up with that initial push from making Fantasy Factory.
3: I used to have to mule that beer to the Quad Cities all the time whenever I came up here for anything. Like Secret Stash, bring your trailer? Yeah, buy like cases of it and drive back. What was
1: your favorite place to find it? Uh, I don't even know. I used to come here a lot to so try to like, get it. Oh, right to the source? Yeah. yeah. If
2: you say total language, slap you. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, I think I used to come here for it. We used to come here and drink a bunch and then, yeah, get kicked out usually because
1: we got too drunk.
3: Those Bent River guys, they're a wild group. <laughs> like
1: <laughs> yeah. we, we often wondered, you know, 10 years later, kind of looking back, like, was, should we have just only ever sold it out of the tap room? You know? Um, even with all the bottles and stuff, you look at breweries like Treehouse now and stuff, they sell everything completely out of their tap room and people are lined up every day to fill up cases of 16 ounce beers and you get better revenue that way, you get to make different decisions because of the revenue and the cash flow situations. But at the time too, the whole game was like trying to get with a distribution partner, trying to get on the shelf, trying to get into Woodman's. And at the time there wasn't, the shelf wasn't nearly as crowded as it is today. So kind of getting it out there and getting it in everybody's hands seemed like the right situation or the right decision at the right time.
3: Yeah, I think Treehouse kind of changed that game for that.
2: But I also feel like everything like that is just a snapshot in time. I mean, you look at something like Dark Lord Days, you know, and a bunch of breweries tried to emulate that and it didn't work. You know, different time, different place. You look at all the breweries that are really buzzy at any given moment in time, especially with a taproom model, and it's like, can you name one that was like that five years ago? I don't know. I don't know that it's a really sustainable thing.
1: Yeah. Maybe one person catches it and like they, they have theirs, you know, like we caught fantasy factory. and
3: Oh, you know, there's so many times I go to like a brewery. Well, like we're going to uh, octopi dealing with somebody like high breweries, and you go to the brewery, you think you're just going to get like the craziest stuff there. And you're just like, I can get this like everywhere. I don't understand it, but like they had that one or two beer that just hit the market a little bit before everybody else did. And that's what, kind of drove them and their hype and puts the name on the map. So fantasy factory, man, whatever, ride or die, bro.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely marketing tap room. There's all different kinds of stuff that just go into that equation. You never know when you're going to catch everyone's attention and sustain it for a while.
3: Yeah. Like we've talked about in meetings before, like I'm just shocked how much fantasy factory is still as popular as it is when, when like, it's just not the style of IPA that people line up for now. We were at Hop Selection, and uh, we were catching a ride with some hipster brewers from some place. I could just tell they were hype brewers. Um, and they're like, dude, do you guys use caramel malts in your beer? We're like, yeah. And they're like, that is so cool. <laughs> I was like, really? okay. <laughs> and it's just like one of those things, like people don't use caramel malts anymore.
1: Patrick, why don't you go down to the rabbit hole with, uh, may it be shallow, I don't know, the rabbit hole for caramel malts and, and uh, beers at all. Because even during our conver- even during the managers meeting though, you're we were, we were, kind of made that comment, and I was like, I, I've always done that. I don't I didn't understand. Really, didn't really resonate as well.
3: Oh yeah. So caramel malts. Uh, so in IPAs they were really popular, and then you know uh, caramel forties, caramel sixties, caramel eighties, and some IPAs for darker IPAs back two thousand. Well, you know, all the way until like the. Big West Coast boom. And then the, you know Caramel 10 was popular for a while. And then no Caramel malts were popular for a while. Like, way too long. But now, like, uh, Caramel malts are... Well, there's a whole, what is it called? Like, memes about Caramel malts right now. But I think one of the coolest malts that came out was, like, the Malt Europe steamed malts. Because... I guess to back that up a little bit. So caramel malts add darkness to the, like, while they add sweetness, they also add darkness. And in hazy beers, the haze adds, like, more darkness to it. So people were trying to cut out whatever it caused, like, the color to get more opaque haze. And in turn, they kind of, like, lost the flavor of an IPA, I feel like. But then they started coming out with that crystal 3.5 that steamed or crystal 3.5 from Malt Europe. And it gives you like all the flavors of caramel malt again in an IPA, but no color, which is, I think is totally sweet. That's why I use it in a bunch of beers all the time. But yeah, caramel malts is like, it's just not a popular thing anymore. And it's like a snapshot in time that, well, I don't know. It's also Wisconsin. We, We still drink caramel malt beers, I guess, like moon man. And,
1: we need sweet sugary things to pack on the layer before the winter yeah, time.
3: Yeah, like I need to get fat right now because it's about to yeah. get really freaking cold. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I usually start that process in about May. <laughs> so, and then I stop it in about the next July. i like gain, I'll like, gained, overlapping I'll gain like seasons 10 pounds
3: of and then like, uh... And I then,
1: I'll then I'll, gain uh, 10 more. Just and then, for then I'll sh- lose <laughs> like five. <laughs> I was trying to like search it while you were talking about that. So it's like a post from twenty twelve, somewhere where's this American Homebrewers Association, you know. So it's no secret that American IPA brewers nowadays, especially here on the West Coast, seem to shun the use of much of much, if any, caramel malts. But then you start seeing like twenty twenty one in defense of caramel crystal malt.
2: In defense of caramel malt. Here's a Sierra Nevada pale ale. Taste this. <laughs> I bet you've forgotten how good this is. Yeah.
3: I like the right now, my favorite like meme website or like uh handle is uh rememer red ales. Uh, and they're like desperately trying to bring back red ales. Um, and so yeah, I've I've written a couple red ale recipes.
1: (laughs) I love red beers,
3: yeah. I mean, bring back lady luck.
1: Let's bring back lady luck. Remember
3: brown ales? That was fun. Remember beer, (laughs) (laughs) and then all just became hazy IPAs. But anyways that's
1: what we are just divert it back to candy I don't what a will will Glass brewing project you know where he's also the president of the Wisconsin Brewers Guild right now my brother's the the vice president so they have to talk about a lot of stuff offline so I get to hear conversations and 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 he stumbled on to making a lot of like the plop and the other like super fruited sour beers and stuff too and you know he was like you know his takeaway at the end it was like humans like fruit. You know, like that's just like as animals, it's like the sugar source, it's the it's the energy source as the dense sugar and then so you just you want the sugar. Want the sweetness, want the fruit. I feel so. like
3: the FDA needs to ban fruit like fruit smoothie beers, uh, so that we don't like get kids to get drunk, you know, like they <laughs> banned like you know, cartoons and cigarette and beer ads like
1: we took that i took a can home as of, i
3: just got done this morning writing a fruit smoothie beer <laughs> <It's> <laughs> writing a recipe for one
1: well we just had a uh thank you come again come on it's a raspberry slurpee or a, a slurpee beer berry slurpee beer and i brought a can of that home and i and uh well caught up brought a couple home and uh my wife who doesn't drink at all like if i open a bottle of wine in the same room like that's enough she's she's already drunk <laughs> so for her to like crack a beer on her own is something else. And uh, so I brought a four pack of that home. She actually requested it. So we brought some to Michigan the other weekend and she poured out a, a glass, you know, for herself. And then my seven-year-old, what, dipping his finger in there, trying that, you know, then my nine-year-old dipping his finger in that. And like the next morning, somebody left it out overnight and we found the nine-year-old, he was kind of like going towards them. We're like, that is not fruit juice. <laughs> That's not for breakfast, dude. You Can't be doing that. Yeah, that's your point, though. They're like, oh, I can't even tell. It's just just fruit juice, just fruit punch.
3: Actually, you know, the thing that made me realize that uh, hazy IPAs were going to stick around that weren't just a trend that was going to be like a week long or whatever, or brewed IPAs and stuff like that, was uh, like people were comparing them to mimosas. And uh, my mom hates beer, just hates it. My dad doesn't drink beer either, which is... Oh, maybe that's why I'm a brewer. But uh, take that, Dad! (laughs) Take that! You wanted me to be a doctor. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, they just—they're not beer drinkers. And I had them try my first like hazy IPA, and they were hooked, and they really enjoyed it. And my mom was like, "Oh yeah, that's beer. Yeah, that's beer." And I was like, "Oh man, if I can get my mom to drink a hazy IPA when she won't drink." Anything that remotely looks like a beer, like this is going to be around for a while. And I'm not sure this is a good idea. It's a great idea. I love it.
1: It's <laughs> a great idea. Uh, I actually stumbled along. uh Well, once Hazy started becoming a thing, I started reading recipes about it. This is before I ever actually met you, Patrick, too. I started reading about how to write the recipe or how people were doing it. And I realized that basically it had a lot to do with the tenants of how I wrote the recipe for Fantasy Factory way back when, which Fantasy Factory, I basically started writing the recipe when I was in Montana. There was a an IPA there, Numskull, numbskull, that was basically, I started testing out a recipe for, for my own type of IPA, and, and at the time, there was just like a lot of West Coast stuff and pale ales, and I really wanted something sweet and fruity and citrusy, and this is when Citra first came out. In fact, I remember like calling Matt Hollingberry one time, and we were talking about getting some new hops in. He said, we don't, what do you want? I said, do you have anything very citrusy? And he's like, well, there's this new thing called Citra. Do you want to try, do you want to try that? So I started spot buying it. And now it's like, yeah, if you're not contracted for Citra, good luck. But uh, like zombie dust or something would be a one that's all Citra.
3: Zombie dust made Citra. That's yeah, that's
1: made Citra, you're right.
3: That made Citra popular. People were like, I don't know what to do with this. And then they had zombie dust. And they're like, oh, this is what you do. That's with what
1: this, you so. do with that thing. Yeah. So I... I my style had been at the time was always for IPAs was trying to do like oil hunting. And I just, I just, uh, at the time I was actually trying to get back into physician assistant school. And so I retook anatomy and physiology. And and when we took the special senses unit of that, that really struck home because I was brewing at the time. And then I learned so much about like taste crypts and taste buds and special centers and olfactory. And it hit me, you know, like how starches start to break down in your, in your mouth with salivary amylase. And how taste crips work with your taste buds for actually like getting things to bind in your in your tongue to perceive anything, whether it's bitter or or sweet or anything else. And then I realized, oh, I, I don't really care about the IBU count. I just want the oil part. I want like the fruitier part. And if I put like dextrinous malts or caramel malts, you know, crystal malts. Uh, golden naked oats, oatmeal in there, uh, and change the temp a bit, I could leave a little bit more of the sweetness behind, and then the sweetness would kind of cut out and mask the bitter part, and I could push up the, the, the hot profile to kind of give you more of the fruity stuff without as much as the bitter part. And then when I read when Hazy's came out, that's basically what they were doing. They used a, lot, a lot of use of uh, wheat and oats and such to get leave behind a lot of dextrin, that, that sweet, smooth feel. And then, but then the big thing I learned from there was like the different, totally different change in like uh, hop timing and and uh, and hop usage on there
2: salt profile,
1: salt profile. Yep, that's a big thing there. And uh, I don't know if you want to jump in there, Joe, talk about the hop timing and
2: you know I I feel like you guys are are on the money. Um, <clears throat> you know, you can't ignore the the contribution of the youth too. I know when uh, when I was working at Ale Asylum and Hazy started becoming popular our our initial reaction was, yeah, what the hell? They're doing what we're doing. They're not filtering their beer. They're making hoppy beer and they're not filtering it. And then started tasting more and more hazies. And it's like, no, there's there's something different going on. So we started going down this journey of, of developing uh, what would become Plush Crush. And so a, a session hazy. So, you know, a little lower in alcohol. And we were getting the haze we wanted. We were using... Um, a handful of different hops at pretty high rates um, in the whirlpool and the dry hopping and stuff like that. And it just wasn't right. And finally, we were like, okay, we're going to just bring in these this yeast strain that everybody else is using. And when we did, when we got the London Ale 3, um, before we even dry hopped the beer, taking fermentation samples, we are like, oh, it's a hazy IPA. Okay. Well, <laughs> so that yeah, also, that was a big that, factor.
3: It also goes to like I had the email thread not too long ago talking about the Different compounds and different yeast strands; they can break down and biotransformate different parts of the yeast strands or uh, hop strands. And
1: Is biotransformate a word?
3: Biotransformation, I guess. Biotransform. Biotransform. bio-transform, <laughs> bio-transform whatever. We'll, we'll Google that. Yeah, we'll Google it. Don't Google it. I said Don't it wrong. Don't Google it. Uh, but it was like uh, English yeasts are like the highest in it um, that have like those compounds to break down those. Uh, to convert those compounds
1: into those tropical sweet flavors that everybody's searching out for. Do you know what it is about London 3 that helps it make it hazy?
2: As as far as what makes it hazy, I don't I don't know that anybody knows. Omega is is doing some studies that I think are ongoing where they've started to correlate different yeast strains with um, i don't think they really consider anything haze negative but they they say like haze neutral haze positive or, or in between and the one london ale 3 is definitely a haze positive and they have a couple of different theories about why that is but i don't think any of it's been been really like conclusively proven yet you know is it something with the you know with the cell wall surface is it something some way that they interact with proteins um yeah don't don't really know yet, but you know it it has become known that certain yeast strains do contribute to haze, and it's not just yeast and suspension it's something you know it's a way that they're interacting with with the different compounds in beer
1: do you think they're kind of catalyzing some final function or is it more just like preserving or promoting a different thing or not breaking down something?
2: yeah, no idea I mean haze tends to be complexes of protein and polyphenol, so it could be that they're catalyzing a bonding reaction or it could be that they're not breaking it up.
1: Well, and that's the part that made me want to smash my face into a wall over the years because when we were first, <laughs> we were like, oh, maybe we should make a hazy one. at the time, we were just really trying to get Fantasy Factory still kind of stabilized. And then that's actually when Cats came out. And we kept making these hazy beers that tasted really great and smelled really wonderful. But all of a sudden, all of our haze always crashed. It always precipitated. And we're, in fact... What was probably most numbing was that they be, they precipitated to a point where they became some of our most cle- clarified beers that were like unfiltered on their own. We're like, it's doing the exact opposite of what we want to do here. And then
3: the water profile here isn't made for making hazy beers for sure. Like there's way too much calcium in the beer. that like flocks out really well. Uh, you know, that's one of the things that we started doing.
1: Calcium plus yeast equals flocculation? Pretty much.
3: Well, I mean, calcium plus a lot of things like in the boil hot break. Needs calcium. So you don't add your uh, salts like you're brewing your whirlpool or your kettle salts until like way, way late, like in the whirlpool. Uh, so it's already whirlpooled out. All your proteins are up in suspension. need you add your salts for your better fermentation. Uh, but it doesn't have enough calcium to do hot break. That's why we can't get like a good thick haze like other places in this country do. That was actually something that we figured out when we were at octopi, and then I brought here
2: to test
1: their big big i o system there or r o system that you could build up a better profile from the base then
2: it's it's r o but it's blended back so their their water is roughly thirty five percent city water you know but so that that means they're working with about thirty five percent of the calcium that we are to to start with but you know, hazy IPAs, you're also adding a lot of calcium chloride. So you do add calcium, but to Patrick's point, you add it late enough that you you bypass some of those, you know, protein precipitation reactions and you know, yeast flocculation's fine. You don't actually need yeast in your haze. So if calcium's going to that, it's not a big deal.
3: Yeah, the calcium will actually make the yeast flock out better and leave your proteins behind and leave you in better haze.
1: Well, the part that we want to smash my head against the wall is that about two and a half years into hazy IPAs being the thing at the CBC. I went and uh, I think it was a Tom Shellhammer uh, presentation that was like, "What? what is the haze? There were they a lot of theories at the time about exactly what it was, and they were able to isolate it and did actually confirm, found out that it was PPCs. It was protein polyphenol complexes. And the moment I heard that, I think I kind of gave up on life for about a day and a half because we'd had some issues about uh, two years before, right when hazy beers were just almost going to become anything, we had some issues with some snow globes in Fantasy Factory and some of the bottles. And uh, and after a bunch of reading, and then actually there was a, a brewery in, in Michigan, um, oh my goodness. I'm losing it, I think it's Grand Rapids area, that um, they they had they had to put up a whole video about it because they had the same issue and we found out that the snow globe snowflakes were PPCs and it was from like late dry hopping, like dry hopping with no active yeast so that if there was any oxygen uptake from dry hopping that came in and then any oxygen uptake from uh, DOs from packaging and such then if you had that like green matter of the polyphenol and uh, oxygen plus the protein, it would turn into snow globes. So it would make the haze. So then I, ch- that's when I started using um some of the stuff that would break down the the protein. So I couldn't do that. So it was like uh, the Clerx and such, you know. And uh, that's when I learned about Clarex was like, oh, this will solve the 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 PPC issues for us here in the bottle. So like we spent all this time and all this issue like chasing it out and getting it to to zero. You know, mm-hmm. changed everything, and then. Freaking a year later, Hazy's come out. And what is it? It's it's PPCs. It's like, if you take the haze out of the hazy beer, it tastes the same. He- I,
3: what I think is funny is that, like, all the, like, I did it. I'm sure both of you guys. Obviously, you did it. I'm sure Joe did it, too. Spend, like, years and years and years of your career, like, trying to figure out how to make the perfect, clear, see-through beer. And then
1: in six months...
3: A wave came through, and you're like,
1: where people were putting flour in there, yeah, literally oh putting flour like glue. You know, what, the reason the why beer. they did
3: that? This is my favorite. People were putting applesauce in the beginning because the protein break of the cell walls would create stable haze that you just can't get rid of. So then some breweries were taking uh, just protein flour and putting it in their boils. And then people just saw that they were putting flour in it, not knowing that it was protein flour from, like, fruit pectin flour. Mm. So it's a fruit pectin that's what makes it happen. So they would put fruit pectin in it, like flour, and then other people just thought it was flour. So they just started putting flour in it, and that does absolutely nothing except for make dough balls and clog your heat exchange. And
2: And feed bacteria. (laughs) Yeah, right? Feed bacteria. Just all the wrong (laughs) Uh,
3: things to do with it, but... Yeah, I mean people spent their whole careers trying to clear up beer and I feel like there was like a long time like years and years like even even sometimes you hear it I I think I heard it at the last brewers meeting brewmasters meeting was like I spent so many years of my life making clear beer I'm not going to try to learn how to make hazy beer now I'm like okay man that argument was dead like 7 years ago so you can give up on that
2: one I I feel like I had it made cuz I I landed at Ale Asylum in in 2010 and up until that point, I had worked for a couple breweries that filtered their beer. You know, if you really want clear beer, that's what you do. And getting to Ailis Island, their attitude was just like, "You want a clear beer? You can eat shit. We don't filter our beer." <laughs> and and that was great, you know. And we would get complaints about it. You I don't know, I don't hey,
1: understand how the ingested <laughs> feces will help me clear my beer. Yeah, yeah, but it was
2: funny to be getting complaints about Look about Hopalicious being hazy to then getting complaints about how Hopalicious wasn't hazy enough.
1: Yeah, man. There's a lot of, well, obviously podcast time. You can't see all the uh, head shaking happening. But I think there's a lot of cool things here that I'm picking up on too, which is kind of leads into it when we we're trying to figure out what to talk about today too. Or one of the things, you know, is kind of like the discussion of who we are, what are we going to do, or what are we doing? But, you know, further down that discussion to both your points, like, if you're going to say, I spent all this time learning how to make it clear, so I'm not going to learn how to undo that. And then when you find the consumer saying, oh, it's not enough of this, and now it is too much, and then this and that, you know, the only thing that I think finds is like a middle ground, any kind of land bridge somewhere is just the fact that if you're like, we're a really master at it, you could just basically point and say, oh, if I want it to be hazy, this is what I'm going to do. If I want it to be clear, I can take that thing over here and I can make it that over here, you know, like that's when you have command of the whole thing because it's like, that's probably one of the things I've I've kind of picked up from both of you guys is like this, we never stop learning, you know, there's so much to learn. There's so much that's being done. I mean, even with like the thiols right now, like the whole new, a whole new chapter, a whole new like branch of thinking about how to get to where you might want to be. It's just a, just a wonderful process to like a real challenge. Well, and I think that's
2: just, that's what good brewers do. You know, you, you embrace the technical challenge, even if it's not what you necessarily want to be drinking. Like, I don't, I've never felt like I need to unlearn this skill. It's like, I'm going to use this skill to make a pilsner because I love a pilsner, Mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, make it hazy if you want, make it, make it clear. If you want a different kind of beer, clear, you know, it's like Anheuser-Busch taking over. I think it was Anheuser-Busch taking over rolling rock and needing to, um, hit a, a, certain positive specification for DMS, you know, they work like hell to get that out of the beer. And now they're like, oh, we need to hit so many parts per million at DMS to make it taste
1: like rolling rock. Yeah. So hey. don't explain what DMS is. Uh,
2: dimethyl sulfide is the cream cabbage or cream corn flavor that comes from, um, leaving your wort hot for too long after the boil or not boiling lar- long enough or, or hard enough. It's basically there's a precursor in malt called S-methylmethionine, so SMM, um, gets converted to DMS um, either with heat or with a whole lot of time. And yeast can do it too. So you can actually get DMS from yeast from a different precursor. But that's something I haven't encountered personally.
1: So, all for you, rolling rock cream corn lovers out there. I mean, that was
3: that goes back to like my first mentor told me, like, the day you stop learning in the brewing industry, you instantly become five years behind everybody else. Everybody's working hard to figure out the new thing and learn it. So,
2: I completely agree with that because I feel like when I get busy and I have to like catch up on reading like the technical quarterly or listening to podcasts and things like that, like I feel like I've fallen off the earth. I'm like, I don't know anything anymore. I need to go away for a month <laughs> and just live in a cave and catch up.
3: Yeah. I mean, I was talking to, uh, well, were, we were talking the dangerous man collaboration. We were getting together a couple of beers, uh, that's coming up, but we were, uh, talking about, you know, all the new trends and things like that. And I was like, well, I'm an old grouchy brewer already, but like I'm an old grouchy brewer that's like, yeah, I'll I'll make a milkshake IPA just to see what's going to happen. Like, it'll be fun. But I'm like using my knowledge that I've gained from the years to make all this new cool styles of beer. But it's more like, yeah, I don't, I want a Pilsner, but I know that people don't want Pilsners as much as I do. So I'll make this orange guava milkshake. That's going to be a lot of fun.
2: You know, we're mostly there with this slow IPA. You just got to put lactose in it. It's already got the orange guava.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was just actually going to poke at that too, because we're talking about like skill sets, technical things, uh, putting stuff together. And then Joe, you made a point where you're like, you know, if I want a Pilsner, I can do this. I can do that. I can nail this, can nail that. Well, here's actually like a good, a great representation of like that story to tell too with like the the slow ipa i mean you guys should talk about how we got there because you're basically like i like pilsner but i also like this and i'm gonna try this and that now we learned about this thing over here so now why don't i put them all together and then have some kind of snarky name for it because that makes me feel good (laughs) and it's funny but at the end of the day You can, you know, it was tongue in cheek about, you know, a name of it, but the execution and the chasing it down and making sure it was happening right, like that was done completely professionally. That was done with a lot of care.
3: So the cold IPA is, or slow IPA, slow IPA, sorry. Slow IPA is a funny story because it was uh, Joe, Clint, and I, Clint from a working draft, uh, drinking beers while they were just telling me that uh, cold IPA is just an IPL. And I was like, "No, no, no, man! It's a completely different thing. It's a it's its own style."
1: That's India Pale Lager, for everyone.
3: Yeah, and we we had a whole back and forth about it, and finally, somebody brought up thials, and it ended with a, a joke of, "Well, if they ever come out with a thiolized lager yeast, and we'll make a slow IPA, and that'll be or sorry, yeah, slow IPA, and that'll be the new style." Kind of making fun of the fact that it's just it's just a lager in a different way. And then literally, like the skies parted, and and then the next day they, or was it the next Monday they announced that they had a, came out with a thialized lager yeast, and we're like, oh,
1: yeah, Omega did right, yeah,
3: Omega. We're like, well, I guess they got your phone hacked, yeah. Like, oh, I guess it's got to happen now. So and then yeah, so we just we made a pilsner with some thialized yeast, and we used uh, saz hops to add some thial precursors to it do some biotransformation, and uh yeah we we had one that was like way over the top so we kind of intentionally didn't go over the top on uh the precursors but yeah now we have a slow ipa mostly just to make fun of me for the saying cold ipas were a real thing
2: well and i i think it's a little deeper than that because the the origin story of of cold ipa Um, as a, as a distinct thing from India pale lager, really the intent of the the guys that kind of pioneered that wasn't to make a super hoppy beer. It was to make something that tasted like high gravity, you know, beer at a, at an industrial brewery before it gets diluted to its, you know, sales strength. So, you know, think like, I don't know what it would be 16, 17 Plato, original gravity, you know, high life tasting it out of a tank. That was kind of their intent, and then they add a little more hops. And then every brewer that got their hands on the style just basically made an IPA with lager yeast and they made IPLs. And that's where this whole debate comes from. But the original intent of the thing seems like it was it was more lager-like. And so we were kind of poking fun at that too by saying, let's just make a straight up Pilsner. Like we're not going to make this any kind of an IPA, but we're going to use this yeast strain that makes it taste fruity. So we'll call it an IPA. So yeah. That's worked. that's was, the joke to me. I I enjoy that a lot.
3: Yeah, it, it it's funny because like when I had Zach, like uh Ryan's brother try it, he was just like, Wait, there's not a bunch of tropical hops in this? And I was like, No, there's none. He's like, Wow, man, that's just uh that's just a game changer.
2: That's just ridiculous. Yeah, so. and being being able to work with Clint was the icing on the cake because his his loggers are top notch. So we're like, that's gonna be our base and then we're gonna desecrate it. Okay.
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you uh if you ever want to find Joe and I, it's probably at working draft sometime.
0: (laughs) And Clint is the head brewer over at working draft. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Clint's the head brewer there. He's uh, by far the best logger guy in town. And he will probably kill me if he heard me say that to other people. So (laughs) he just doesn't believe it. He just got an award. He just got a gold medal for some gold medal, right? Yeah. Yeah. Gold medal for ice. Yeah. And, if you tell him that he's a great lager maker, he, he'll tell you all day that he's not. But He'll smack you in the mouth.
1: Yeah, but he is. He's extraordinary. The beer, you know everything a, there is fantastic.
3: You know what's a good brewery if you go hang out there and all the other brewers in town are hanging out there. So you often see, like, brewers hanging out there. So,
1: Which is a pro tip for anybody if you're visiting your local brewery and you walk up to the bar and you're wondering what to order, you should ask... What do your brewers drink when they're having their shift beer afterwards? Whatever they're excited about, that's what you should be going after. Don't worry about what's being chased. Ask them what they're interested in. If anybody's out there, if you're out there listening in radio land, if you're out there and people have questions, uh, things doesn't have have to have anything to do with K4. If you're a person out there, if you are, it's a perfect time if you're a homebrew out there that you want you know joe to talk about something he's given so many presentations that man (laughs) yeah for the nbaa uh uh, for for all kinds of stuff uh but not just joe too but you know any of us here we're we're a resource but we'd love to to take you know questions from people listening out there whether it's technical whether it's you know story-wise or a behind the scenes thing you want to hear like great you know like we're We're here to tell stories and and share our experience.
2: I think, I think we need to have a promo for anyone who can come up with something compelling enough to get Mina on the air.
1: Oh yeah. She hates (laughs) talking. So if you say something that gets Mina, where I say, you give me a great question for her where I will force her to go on the uh, microphone. Yeah. Somebody come. That's like a,
2: that's like a free like bar tab for the night.
1: She hates (laughs) bananas. She's terrified of worms. Is she really? And, uh, yeah, you ever notice when it rains, you don't. She's not here. When is it stops really raining why? and the worms come out yeah. of the ground,
3: yeah. Oh my god, that's awesome! And it, oh, man.
1: oh, she's gonna kill me now. Yeah, she, yeah, probably, she probably should. She's probably bleed this whole part <laughs> out. Like the, I just betrayed her. I think. For people who
3: don't know who Mina is, she is the queen of the brewery. She is. She's the queen the of the brewery. One who makes it run, basically.
1: Yeah, she's she's my well. She's now, my sister. Over the years, you know, like uh, she came to us. She actually, I don't know if you guys knew about her backstory too, but she came to. She worked in a lab.
3: Yeah, I had no idea right. her background and lab experience until one time she was telling me. I was like,
1: Oh yeah, she has degrees. She's she's a brain, and and she came to us as an interim to just like sling some cocktails years yeah, I just ago. She was a drunk bartender that worked at, <laughs> at the top. <laughs> she she was like a bridge. It was a bridge between her next step, and she was actually getting ready to um. She apply, and I think she did apply to like get her PhD in like genetic counseling and such. And uh and I, I think actually at one point in time she could should have gotten the program and it was kind of a choice between staying staying here and doing that. And and after like one time talking to her, I was like, oh my god, she's so much smarter than me. I want her to stay stick around. And she's such a cool cat too. So I gave her the yeast book, the title. I don't know who wrote it the NBA the one of the, or the birds, birds association. association, like the Jamil chef, Yeah. And I was yeah. like, here you go. And like, I was like, Chris well, White. let's see what happens. And like a week later it showed up and it had like sticky tabs and highlights. And I'm like, well, that's your book now. That's,
3: that's, that's my buddy, Steven. Uh, slice, uh, works at, well, I guess he's grown up now. We can't call him slice anymore, but he works at a uh, new Glarus. And when he came in, he was like a microbiology, biology major. Uh, his girlfriend was doing one more year of college at Bent River and he came in and was like oh you know and I talked to him for like 10 minutes like fine whatever man you got a microbiology major fine read this book <laughs> and he read that book and he came back like a week later it was like hey let's start a yeast program I was like this guy is so great <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's awesome. I
3: would love to have that kid work yeah. for us but... well
1: we'll have to pull me in here one <laughs> time and force her to tell her story and stuff too man I, my favorite part about her is that if I have some idea, I just like go in and just, you know, screw up her time. And I'm like, Hey, can I, uh, and then I'll tell it to her. And then I just wait for that reaction. I just read her face like a book and I'm like, yeah, that's really stupid. I guess I'll start over on that. (laughs) (laughs) But she'll always, she's, you know, she feels like she has to make a soft landing, but I'm like, I can tell like when something's just not working and, and I've really always appreciate it about her. And she's been, ba- I consider her my sister now, you know. So um she's fantastic. Yeah. And if, so if you've anybody out there who's liked anything from Carbon Four, if you've ever interacted with anything, you basically you've interacted with her. So um anyway, uh so here the the hit list for the end here, but the things that we definitely want to highlight for folks, um one of the 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 best parts about doing a podcast here is is getting you interested and in letting you know what we're doing now. We we have the brewery series, brewer stuff going on. You know, every month things are coming out. We always have crazy one off things coming through the tap room all yeah, the time. Ask if there's a secret tap. Ask if there's a secret tap.
3: There usually is.
1: We just uh, Patty's Patties, We've been bringing them in this the 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 later part of summer, early fall, autumn. In there, they uh, uh there's a set of brothers who. Just launched a food truck called Patty's Patties, and they've been parking here like every like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, something like that for the last couple whatever. So we. Been digging their food big time. So they're they're going to be here now. Is it, uh, is it Wednesday?
3: It's Wednesday through Sunday, I think. No? Wednesday
1: through Sunday. Yeah, so they're just leaving their trailer here in residence. So for the wintertime, uh, at least, uh, they're helping us expand our menu. So we've had pizzas uh, made by, by Sal's Tomato Pies and some pretzels and other stuff. So like, you, know, you can get a decent meal just like that. But now you'll be able to order off the menu right in the tap room and have your uh your your burgers or uh actually i had one of their corn dogs. Have you guys have tried that corn dog?
3: i haven't actually you know i'm not gonna lie i haven't tried anything yet
1: but so, I, so i went through the whole menu the, every time the, yeah the other week i went and got one of each of the burgers and the fries and stuff and brought it home for friday Dude, night it's dinner not
3: that time of the year yet you can't put that much weight on yet you're supposed to wait i brought it, it for the whole family <laughs>
1: dinner all right i'm just being defensive because it was true i ate half of it by myself on the way home uh uh so killer burgers, really great fries, and then their corn dog they made for just for being here now. It's like a uh, they made their own cornmeal mix, mixed in with like Wade's honey kind of like drizzled Wade the the honey from Honeybee. Oh, yeah, yeah. Over it. And so, dude, it's so worth it. Um anyway, so we got food here now for the uh for the winter time. We got our igloos put back up, which uh big shout out to my dad. Every year for the last three years, he's he's been the master of the igloos for God, us. I feel bad
3: for
1: him every so time he's out there. I know I every time I was like, oh, I, I what a gentle, generous man my father is to put up with me and uh, my siblings and all the crap, but especially the igloos, not his least favorite thing to do every year, but he does it because of duty. Um, We got trivia every Thursday night. We've we've been having a great crowd every time. We've gotten to the point of just almost about standing room only. Been a great program, great show, uh, uh, great turnout every week. Uh, we got the Wisco Pop stuff in, in in our in our taprooms. We just talked about. Oh wait, too. hold
3: on. On the trivia though, you got to pay attention to our Instagram because we'll give clues on what the uh, what the tips are, what it's going to be, and then there's like a halftime clue you get. If you watch I don't know.
1: Another halftime clue. Yeah, thank yeah. you, thank you for reminding me of that. Um, and then let me see here. What else we got going on here? Uh, if you use the code Unhinged. The code is unhinged. You can get 10% off at the K4 website or the Wisco Pop website there. So code, once again, is unhinged. And that'll let us know that you're listening to the podcast and help us uh, keep pushing forward. So, oh, yeah, we have uh, our our year 10 PPK. That's our Priest, Prophet, and King barley wine. That's going to be our third release now. Our 2022 version. So we, we do a what we started off when, when when COVID took down the world, we had a bunch of beautiful barley wine that Tim Ott, one of our brewers beforehand, he was uh in love with barley wines and he brewed a delicious one, laid it down in barrels, but then he left for for uh for different for different waters um before the the barley wine was ready. We said, Hey, for this year's anniversary party, because we couldn't really have a party, the world will shut down. They said, let's let's bring out the barley wine and, and get it out the door to folks. And then uh, I had the idea that, you know, what we should do is the first batch brewed every year, the first turn on the brew house should be that year's uh, Priest, Prophet and King barley wine. So that's what we do now. So first first batch of the year is, is that gets fermented, laid down in barrels, and then basically we bring it out the next January. So those twelve months collect the the energy of the year, and uh, we bring it back out again. And we what we normally do is uh, we have our barrel master, our lead brewer Sam Kohling. He picks out an eclectic uh, selection of barrels, whether it's uh, rum, Scotch, tequila, bourbon, brandy, wine, uh, whatever. He's got a port barrel, port barrel, everything. Yep. He picks out a really cool blend every year. And uh and that's what that is. Uh so we got that coming out for our anniversary party coming out uh uh this January. We're going to we gotta get dang guys, we gotta get this recipe going here. Uh we're gonna <laughs> brew a Grand Crew Fantasy Factory for year ten here. Are we Grand Crew doing that? Yeah. I Oh I just 100%. thought that it was
3: like a note on the Maybe no, we got to actually <laughs> brew it. Yeah, we're going like, oh, to. I got to come up with something. It should like.
1: be like a 10% for a year 10 Fantasy Factory, Grand Crew oh, delicious yeah, beer. Um, and then Let's keep we the have. Keep away from that one. Keep, keep them away from that. Yeah, <laughs> that's going to be liquid gold there. So on uh, December 2nd, which is the first Friday after Thanksgiving week. Uh, for the last maybe six, seven years, we've been doing a party called Threat Level Midnight. Well, it's Threat Level Midnight Day. TLM Day is what we normally call it. Uh, when we brew the beer every year, Threat Level Midnight, it's our s'more stout. And uh, uh, we've been, uh, we brew like, we have to toast 30 to 40 pounds of marshmallows. So it started off as 20 pounds of marshmallows. And years ago, I was like, crap, this is going to take all day. How am I going to get people to do this and help out? And I said, let's get a bunch of pizza. And then we. as a brewer, you get a lot of beer gifts. Uh, so we said, let's bring out all the beer gifts and order pizza and make sure people only have to work a half day or something. And then, and then they can start helping me roast some marshmallows to get into the brew brew house. So the party's evolved a little bit year over year. Uh, it's swollen to 20 pizzas. And then all the brewery, like employee families, you know, kids can come and help us do whatever else. We invite some personal friends this year. We're going to make an event out of it. We're opening it up to our whole K4 family, the whole public uh, on that level, threat level midnight day. I believe at the last time we talked about the last meeting, we talked about having a band or two bands that day. We're gonna have uh, like uh, s'mores kits, s'mores kits. Have, yep, three hang different out stations. With the families, do that stuff. Yep, so you'll be able to make bring your family down, bring your kids under in the day. Makes free s'mores kits. We'll have uh, Patty's Patties. We'll have our. Pizza's going inside. We're going to change
2: the name of the party to uh, threat level hot scotchies at noon. Threat level hot
1: scotchies (laughs) at noon. Exactly. Yep. So we'll have hot scotchies. Well, maybe hot scotchies on their hour every hour. Don't hang out with Wade that day, man. (laughs)
3: Last year was a terrible (laughs) idea.
1: So, then, yeah, normally we take an over a leftover uh, 50-gallon drum, and, and that's been our like our, our roasting drum there, but uh, we'll have to figure out what we're doing this year. So this year, we're sharing the event with everybody. Uh, so come on down. You can help us roast marshmallows for the beer. Make your own s'mores kits. Have some beers. Have some food. Band. Just have a great time. And that's uh, so there's Black Friday after Thanksgiving, and then when you're all shopped out the next Friday, come on down to uh, K4 all day and enjoy yourself all day long. So we'd love to, love
0: to share that with everyone now. Thanks for listening to the Carbon 4 podcast, an unhinged brewery tour. As Ryan mentioned, be sure to visit the Carbon 4 tap room in Madison, Wisconsin. Mention the Cave 4 podcast. Um, get a buy one, get one beer for free. Or head to carbon4.com or wiscopopsoda.com and enter the code unhinged for 10% off. Be sure to follow Carbon 4 on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All the socials. And send send in your questions that you have for Ryan, Joe, Patrick, or Mina.
1: Questions, stories, share your favorite memory of a K4 beer, your favorite time with Fantasy Factory. Hopefully it didn't get you into too much trouble. Hopefully it started some memories. Uh, For me, the most important function beer can ever serve is to enhance your existence, to bring people together, to forget your woes, to remember that there is a life worth living here. There's friends and family and love to be shared. Uh, Life is precious like a like a dollar that can only be spent once an hour can be spent once a minute can only be spent once you can never get it back you never get this day back so you know wake up on purpose get out of bed with intention on purpose and uh and hopefully beer helps remind you of that and uh, brings you together with the people you love we're just the catalyst to make your life happen
0: cheers to that cheers that was really deep
1: thanks for listening